I'm Alex Foster, a partner with Arnold Golden Gregory and a member of our healthcare practice. Welcome to our podcast series, AGG Talks, Home Health and Hospice. Our podcast series features AGG attorneys and guests discussing business opportunities and legal issues for our friends in the home health and hospice industries. While we don't provide care, we nevertheless consider ourselves part of the home health and hospice community. We enjoy sharing what we've learned after working with clients throughout the country as well as giving our thoughts on new opportunities and challenges facing the industry, whether regulatory, reimbursement, compliance, or otherwise. I'm here today with two of my partners, Jason Bring, co-chair of our post-acute care team, and Matt Brom, co-chair of our private equity healthcare team. Today, our episode will focus on home health and hospice deals, where Jason and Matt will discuss the macro environment for deals involving care at home, as well as some of the legal and business issues we see cropping up in deals, some good and some bad. So with that, let's get started. Let's start with Jason. You're really involved in the home health and hospice industries. Can you provide an introduction and some of your background in that space? Thanks, Alex. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, so I'm pretty active in hospice and home health, uh, most notably on the board of the National Association for Home Care and Hospice, really the leading trade industry group for the home care industry as well as locally, the Georgia Hospice and Palliative Care Organization here in Georgia. And so that allows me to interact with a lot of members of the industry across the country, both through NAC and also locally through GHPCO, and then working with a lot of clients in that industry as well on a daily basis. Thanks. And Matt, turning to you, can you tell us about your healthcare M&A practice? Thanks, Alex. Again, I'm Matt Brom. I'm a partner in the healthcare practice and also co-head of our healthcare private equity team. My practice focuses entirely on corporate transactions in the healthcare industry. In fact, I've spent my entire career uh, in the healthcare transactions world. Our team has a national footprint as far as our client base, and we have a, a, an extremely active practice, especially in the last few years where we've closed approximately 150 transactions for our clients, both on the sell side and the buy side. Our team works with private equity sponsored buyers, strategic buyers, and existing healthcare companies looking to sell their business across most areas within the healthcare industry, primary care, specialty care provider groups, optometry, ophthalmology, medical spas, physical therapy, and pertinent to our discussion today, home health and hospice. Thanks, Matt. So we're here to talk about home health and hospice deals. That market has been hot for a while, although maybe with some recent cooling. Jason, can you give a flavor for what you're hearing as you travel around the country working with these industry groups? Um, as, as the market probably knows, through 21 and into early 22 was super hot for home health and hospice, probably reaching its peak in early 22. But then, you know, we've seen some cooling as interest rates uh, rose access to capital became a little bit more difficult, especially on the public side, public market side. Still, private equity had money and still has money to pursue deals with. So the private equity somewhat lagged the public market. But then we've seen at the end of 2022, those really have harmonized now where there's not much of a distinction between the public and private at this point. The multiples have come down a bit, as you would expect. You know, there's less demand on the buy side. On the sell side, we now have a really imbalance in expectations because sellers 
really had an idea of what their company was worth in their mind, and that has come down. And so just like we've seen in the housing market, that imbalance somewhat creates a disincentive for people to sell unless there's some external motivation. So uh, we have that. And then also on the purchasing side, a lot of private equity invested heavily in what they considered platforms that they were going to bolt onto. And they have that model, they have money, and so they're still looking for the bolt-ons to add to their platforms. So there is still activity, albeit a little bit more discriminating at this point. Matt, how did Jason's observations tie in with what you're seeing on the M&A front here at ABG? Well, Jason hit the nail on the head. At a macro level, we've seen a record number of home health hospice transactions in the last three years with EBITDA multiples that a buyer's willing to pay also at record levels. Uh, EBITDA multiples have started to soften a bit over the past six months, but we continue to see a steady stream of opportunities for acquisitions in the home health and hospice space. 2021 was really a record year for M&A deals in the uh, home health and hospice area, both in terms of volume and value. I mean, it truly was an anomaly. Then in 2022, both volume and valuations declined a bit, really as compared to 2021, but still slightly higher than pre-pandemic levels, especially in the home health and hospice arena. Currently, home health and hospice companies and, and really most healthcare companies are struggling with economic uncertainty, rising capital costs, and staffing shortages. Rising interest rates have also put some downward pressure on valuations. With that said though, Premium companies are still demanding strong multiples, maybe not as strong as 2021, but still strong when compared to the trailing five period. The silver lining in today's market really is that buyers are still looking for deals in the home health and hospice spaces. You know, looking ahead to 2023, I believe the deal volumes will continue on its flat trajectory for at least the first half of the year. And if economic conditions stabilize by mid-year, I think we could actually begin to see a rebound in deal activity in the second half of 2023. Jason, your personal practice is more on the regulatory and reimbursement side rather than actively working the deals. How does that all tie together? Yeah, that's right, Alex. I'm smart enough to know about deals, but smart enough to then turn them over to Matt and my colleagues uh, once they come in. And, you know, what I do on a daily basis is really on the reimbursement regulatory compliance side. And so I'm working with home health and hospice companies on a routine basis, really trying to help them navigate those regulatory, you know, complexities, if you will. On the reimbursement side, you know, we see a lot of audits and even investigations, which are a higher level of probing by the government, but audits are very routine now. I try to counsel clients along the way to really get their reimbursement house in order, especially if they're looking for an exit. I've worked with one client in particular that early in their life cycle, they had a pretty serious investigation that they came out clean on, but it was a great opportunity for them to become aware of how important the reimbursement side is. And then working with them over a number of years, I think they had a a 100% win rate on their audits after we got involved. And when it came time to sell, they were so well positioned because they had that clean audit history. 
and a good reimbursement and regulatory background going into the deal environment, you know, led to higher multiples for them. Ultimately, the demand side for that was really important. So I try to work with clients early, especially if they're in a potential exit strategy, because as you know, Alice works a lot on diligence. When a client goes to sell something that has been percolating for years, will come up in diligence. You know, you can't necessarily bury it and expect it not to come up at some point. The government might not see it, but a uh, prospective purchaser will. So getting that house in order is super important. Thanks, Jason. Matt, Jason mentioned diligence. What are you seeing on the diligence side of deals? Is it getting more rigorous or is it just a check the box type process? Yeah, Alec, it's no doubt that buyers are taking a much more aggressive stance when it comes to due diligence. Given the uncertainty in the economy, buyers want to make sure that the asset that they're buying is worth the value they're paying for it. That means a rigorous review of the seller's business, both from a financial and legal perspective. In fact, most buyers in today's market are bringing in numerous third parties to look under the hood of the seller's business. With diligence being so rigorous, what can sellers do ahead of time to better position themselves? Sellers really need to conduct a review and tune up on their own business. I would recommend that any seller in today's market conduct a due diligence review of its own business, both from financial perspective and a legal perspective. I mean, first, first off, the seller must have credible financials and accurate cost reports before going to market. If there's any doubt whatsoever of the quality of your financials, you should bring in a third-party consultant to review and help tighten those financial statements. Next, you need to consider preparing an internal quality of earnings report. Any buyer is going to perform a very comprehensive quality of earnings test to value your business. So it makes sense to go ahead and just get out in front of the buyer's review to, to help identify areas of weakness or items that need to be corrected. Moreover, it's really a signal of strength and, frankly, a good negotiating tactic as well for a seller to provide an internal QV report to a buyer in advance of the deal. So in addition to financial diligence, the seller also needs to be ready to have the buyer's lawyers analyze business from a legal risk perspective. Uh, common areas of intense legal review include medical director relationships. Are you paying fair market value? Have you obtained evaluation for the compensation? Relationships with physicians and other referral sources. Uh, here's where we get into the dreaded dark law and anti-kickback statute issues. Length of stay issues, employee versus independent contractor issues. You know, have you properly categorized the folks who work for you? And in the home health business, the 36-month rule. The 36-month rule is really sort of interesting because I've seen it kill deals on several occasions. Generally speaking, the rule prohibits multiple changes of ownership over a 36-month period. There are exceptions to the rule, and there are ways you can structure your organization to minimize the impact of the rule on your business, which we'll likely cover in more detail in a subsequent podcast. Did you bring on a majority owner? Did you undergo a restructuring? All things that could have an impact on your ability to sell or, or buy a home health business. So in addition to the financial consultant, the buyer may even hire a consultant to review the seller's historical insurance claims and medical records. So a seller really needs to be prepared on the front end. A seller also should have a game plan with respect to any licenses it holds. You know, do you have a CON? If so, can it be transferred? What are your state's rules related to a change of ownership with respect to your state license? 
all of these issues can have a material impact on the timing of your deal. So you want to be prepared on the front end to work with the buyer through that process. Finally, for a seller who may be on the fence as to whether to go through this pre-market tune-up process, it's, it's really important that you realize that if a buyer does find any surprises in its financial or legal review, it may negatively impact your purchase price, or even worse, it may cause the buyer to walk from the deal. So it's vital for you to get in front of these issues. Jason, I know you've worked with a number of clients getting ready to sell. What's the most successful process you've seen for going to market? Yeah, parlaying off what Matt said is really being deliberate about the process. I have a number of clients who maybe they're in a trade association meeting and someone will come up to them and, and reach out and say, you know, we're interested in doing a deal, which is great. And sometimes that can get the ball rolling. But if you're truly, you know, working toward an exit, my impression, and having seen a number of these, the best outcome for the sell side is to be deliberate about it and really line up a broker or a law firm or both in advance to help position you to go to market in a you know well-formed fashion. And by that, I mean doing the QOV that Matt mentioned, but also being able to shop it around to multiple potential purchasers. I think that's really important. Having a proposed transactional document out there, whether it's an asset purchase agreement or a stock purchase agreement, the model agreement you're planning on using so that you're moving quickly once you're ready to go to market and really increasing that demand out in the marketplace. A couple of additional things, you know, Buyers are really looking at the quality of your IT infrastructure, your staff, your key personnel. So if you're going to market, you want to make sure that those folks are happy and that they're likely to stay on after a deal if needed. Making sure that your client relationship management software, your CRM, is up to date because that allows a purchaser to really focus in and know that they're going to have that continuity even if key personnel leave. So those types of things in advance will position you even better along with all the diligence to check uh, checklist to make sure that your house is in order. Really getting that market demand frothy to me has been has been the best process that I've seen looking and working with clients in advance of going to market. Matt, any closing remarks? So from a transaction standpoint, I would encourage anyone engaging in discussions regarding a potential transaction to engage counsel early in the process. I mean, from a seller standpoint, that means engaging counsel before you go to market, really to assist with the uh, reverse due diligence process that I mentioned earlier. After going to market, buyer and seller are likely going to enter into a non-binding LOI, letter of intent, uh, providing the buyer with a period of exclusivity, um, typically around 60 to 90 days, for the buyer to do a deeper dive on the seller through a due diligence review with the target closing, usually between 90 and 120 days, obviously depending on what your licenses look like and the timing of that. A common pitfall by sellers is really to not engage counsel, legal counsel to uh, provide advice and negotiate the LOI. And then they're stuck agreeing to a bunch of terms that negatively impact their transaction. So, you know, what are some of the examples of those terms? Well, what's the structure of your transaction? The stock deal versus an asset deal, uh, there are likely going to be tax advantages and disadvantages to both parties. 
You know, is the buyer taking the provider number? Is the buyer leaving behind liabilities the seller needs to deal with? Also, you see indemnity claims, baskets, caps, fundamental reps versus standard reps, all terms that operation folks typically aren't used to dealing with on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, is the buyer going to hardwire a networking capital calculation that's not advantageous to the seller? How long is exclusivity? Will the buyer try to make certain terms in the LOI binding? All terms that can come back and haunt a seller if they don't engage legal counsel. It's also important for sellers to bring in legal counsel to assist with the uh, due diligence production efforts. As I mentioned, due diligence has become exponentially more difficult in recent years, focusing on the usual, such as financials, UAB, compliance, but now it's extending into less conventional areas, such as technology, security risks, cyber preparedness. Due diligence often undercovers issues that can kill a deal altogether, trigger renegotiation of purchase price, require significant escrowing, holdbacks. So again, I can't reinforce it enough. Sellers really need to engage third-party advisors early in the sale process. Jason, any closing remarks? I think just parlaying again off what Matt said, um, being deliberate about the process, being thoughtful about it, getting out outside advisors involved because you know we do this all the time, and you know for for most sellers it's going to be a one-time deal. For buyers, flip side is they're doing this all the time, and we work with buyers' side routinely. And that process is one where we, we oftentimes have pipelines of deals for established uh, home health and hospice clients that are adding on. So whichever side it's on is super important to be deliberate about it, get outside counsel, get brokers involved if appropriate, and uh, make sure your house is in order first and foremost before you go to market so that these lingering and lurking issues don't pop up during a deal and, and maybe crater things. But we appreciate you joining us and thanks. I'll turn it back over to Alex. I want to thank Jason and Matt for joining us today. We hope you found this discussion informative. If you have any questions or if you'd like to submit topics for future podcasts, please reach out to any of us directly. We're all easy to find at agg.com. Future podcast episodes will be distributed through our AGG website and social media pages. Thank you again for joining us.